1: Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live this morning. And I'm very excited about the show that we have for you this morning. Uh, Before we get started, I want to let you all know that we're going to be live for the next hour. We're going to be talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. We welcome everyone here, uh, but most especially this show, our, our guiding principle here is to provide information and inspiration. That's why we're here. And we primarily wanna offer that to the autism community. For us, that begins, of course, with people who are, um, as the hashtag says, actually autistic, um, people who are on the autism spectrum. They are the beating heart of our community. They're our reason why. But we also include in our community everyone who loves those individuals. That's really important to me because I count myself as one of those people. I am the very proud parent of uh, a young man who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. So I always wanna be coming from a place of support for him and for my friends that are on the autism spectrum and being in a position of standing in solidarity with them in asking for the respect and the consideration and the opportunity and the ability to work and live and love who and where and when they want to. Um, So that's where we're coming from here. And if you are someone who is in any way, shape or form a part of that, you yourself are on the spectrum, or you love someone who's on the spectrum, or you want to know more, we welcome you to this forum where we're not always going to get it right and we're not always going to um tell everybody's story all at the same time because this is a community of individuals so we work hard to you know reach as many people as we possibly can with a message of hope and a message uh, again of solidarity and um that is, I'm saying good morning to Sam Samrowit. Thank you so much for being here. That is the place that we're coming from. And we hope that you're coming from that place too, because I feel that everything is possible when we're in that space. Yeah. So uh, there are lots of different ways to connect here on the show. Uh, just like Samrowit did that um, because we are live right now on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Facebook, as well as our homepage, autism-live.com. You can be writing in in any of those forums. You can uh, tell us anything that you want to tell us about where you are or what it is that you're hoping uh, to see when you are here with us today. So I um, also want to let you know that we podcast our show. Uh, the, the, uh, it's a free download, just about any place that you get your podcast. So we hope you'll check that out. Thanks to all of you, to our wonderful viewers. We are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide right now. And we're very proud of that. And it has uh, helped us, you know, this show started, we're in our 10th year now. And when we started back then, we had no idea what, how, if we'd be here a year later. In fact, I said it was probably a two-year kind of situation. And now we're in the 10th year. And we've learned a lot along the way, we're learning still more. So if there are things that you want us to be talking about here, things that you'd like to see more of, please let us know. Uh, Okay, so uh, I like to tell everybody at the start of the show that we have lots of experts that are here on the show in lots of different capacities. I'm not one of them, being an expert is not my, my bailiwick. I have been covering autism from a journalistic point of view for more than a decade, but that doesn't make me an expert. And I wanna be really clear about that, but it makes me passionate. I'm very passionate about learning about this space and about learning what I can do and what others can do to support the individuals with autism that we care about in our lives. Uh, And I really wanna help you. So if you have questions, please feel free to write in, but just know that I'm not an expert. Candace, good morning. Hello to you, so thrilled that you guys are here. So on Thursdays, as many of you know, we like to start out the show with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nanny nanny are they talking about? Uh, And today we've got a term that you know basically makes me wanna run into the street with my hair on fire, but it's important that we know what it means, yeah? So today's term we we you know a lot of times we venture into alphabet land especially when we're talking about educational terms well then a few years ago we had to we were forced to venture into the world of insurance so today we're going <laughs> to trip the light fantastic and go down the insurance rabbit hole and figure out uh one of the terms that might come in handy if we know it With jargon, we like to give you first the actual definition. Often we'll make fun of it. Then we give you a working definition. And usually I try to give you the 411 about why this might come into play in your life and how you'd use it to your benefit. That's usually where I'm coming from. So today's term, are you ready for this? It's an exciting one. Single case agreement. Uh, And you know, doesn't it sound like some weird dating show? A single case agreement. Yeah. So let's take a look at what the actual definition is before I set my hair on fire and see if we can't make heads or tails of why this might be important to you. A single case agreement is an agreement between a provider and an insurance carrier in which they agree to a provide services for just one specific person. You know, and that's a little bit helpful, like, you know, but it basically takes the word single case agreement and, you know, says, yeah, it's a case agreement between single person, right? And and it just rearranges the chairs on the Titanic. Doesn't really tell me what I need to know. So let's take a look at our working definition here and see if we can't get any closer to it. So it's a way in which you can get your insurance company to look at your child as an individual or you as an individual, instead of being tied to rules that are rigid. So a few years ago, if we go back in history, we know that it used to be that insurance did not cover any treatment for autism, none, zero, zilch, nothing. And their reasoning and the thing that they hid behind for decades was that there was nothing shown to be effective in treating autism. Well, right there, you know, that to me is a little bit, uh, on the shady side, because you know, if if someone with autism is saying, you know, I need help and support with X, um, help and support doesn't suggest an outcome, right? So that to me, to start with, is problematic. But aside from that, starting with seven, the Lovas Young Autism Project showed that individuals with autism if therapy was started, ABA therapy uh, was started within a certain age range, and that was given at a certain intensity, that the benefits were wildly effective by anyone's measure. Um, So they couldn't really hide behind uh, their argument that nothing was effective for long in any way, shape, or form because of that. It took many years, but Starting in, gosh, I wanna say like 2010, I I don't know that I'm up on my years, but Arizona was one of the first states that they went to their state legislature and said, we need a mandate that says insurance has to cover ABA therapy. Um, And it's so remarkable that a group of parents got together with a couple of politicians and I saw a, a documentary about it at once. And it was so fascinating to me because they all said that when they went in to plead this to the legislature, they all knew that they weren't going to be successful. They were 100% sure that they weren't going to be successful, but they were 100% sure that it was important to go in and make the case because someday, someday they were going to be able to convince them. And the legislator people said, you know, we knew that they were going to come in and they were going to ask for this and we knew there was no way we could do it. Everybody was 100 percent clear. It was just an exercise in standing forth and saying this is important. This should be done. You should do the right thing. And then something crazy happened. Like one of the legislators was like, why aren't we doing this? And people started asking the question on the floor in real time of the Arizona state legislature. And it was like wildfire. And then, like, some of the parents were like, you know, we might be successful at this. And then the legislature people got, well, they were like, you know, why wouldn't we do this? If this is the right thing to do, why wouldn't we do this? And they passed it. And and you could have knocked everybody over with a feather because they were so shocked. But it started a movement, uh, like a snowball And now I'm very proud to say that in all 50 states in the United States, there is a mandate that says that if you are providing insurance, you have to cover the 10 essential health benefits. And one of those is behavioral health okay, great. So we all have this mandate, except that there are all these exclusions and you've got to be with this provider and you've got to be with that provider. And the provider that you want to be with isn't vendored with your insurance company. And what we find is that there's a mountain of red tape that prevents. So you've got a law now that says, yes, this is important. You've got the science that says, yes, this is effective at, at helping people and you've got the the parent with the child saying we're here we you know we want to be able to do this and somewhere in between there's something that gums up the works well sometimes a single case agreement is all you need to unstick things insurance um ha- they have regulations and one of the regulations is and I'm paraphrasing paraphrasing greatly here but let's say that your insurance company says we cover um, you know, let's pick something that's completely different that we, we cover dental work, right? We, we cover dental work and, but we cover it within this realm. And here's the criteria that we cover it, but you're covered, but then you go to get a dentist and none of the dentists that do the work that you need, that your doctor has said that you need are vendored with your insurance. Like, let's say you need bridge work and there is a dentist that's local that has your insurance and, and will, will do work, but they don't do the bridge work that you need. So you can go to your dentist, you can go to your insurance and ask for a single case agreement to go to the dentist who's not vendored by your insurance, but who does the work that your doctors have said that you need and um, you know that you have coverage for. And in that way, many people are able to get the help and support that they need. So, if you have gone to and, and looked around and said, "Okay, there there is a particular you know type of therapy that you want, and your insurance covers it," but the 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 people who are doing it in your neighborhood are not vendored with your insurance company, but let's say that the you know it's a block away and you would have to drive two hours to get to one that is vendored. You can go to your insurance company and you can say, that's a hardship for me. I want a single case agreement. And it doesn't take a whole lot of effort, but often the, the ABA provider that you're talking to can help. To do that for you, they can help you to fill out the paperwork. And a lot of insurance companies will do that. They will make a single case agreement with you. So often you guys will write in um, and you will say, you know, my child is having to, you know, get on a bus and go two hours to go do this or that or the other thing. And this hurts my heart because sometimes you know it's not making sense, that it's not in your child's best interest. So for some of you, it's you yourself, that you're being forced to go someplace that you don't want to go. And you know, it logically doesn't make sense. And I got to tell you, I love it when we can come up with something that goes, wait, 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 (laughs) like, let's be people here. Let's, you know, I know we've got this set of rules, but that's not working out for this circumstance. Well, a single case agreement goes, hold up, hold up. We're trying to do something good here. And if all the rules are getting in the way, maybe we can shove some of them to the side. So I kind of, I know I started out, I said, ew, pew, ew. it's an insurance term, but it's a good one to have in your hip pocket. Cause if you don't know that this is a possibility, then you just take the fait accompli and they go, hello, you know, we're sending you to Joe's ABA and you wanted center base, but they don't have center base, Right. And they only have, they can only give your child 20 hours and you have a prescription for 30 and there's no chance of ever getting 30. But, you know, uh, Bill's ABA that has a really good reputation is just down the street from you. They do the center base that you wanted to do and they can give you the hours that are your full prescription. The only problem is your insurance company doesn't vendor with Bill. Then you ask for the single case agreement and you can do what you need to do. So um, in any case, uh, I love you guys are writing in, the city of Miami, Mayor Francis Suarez gave a proclamation today recognizing autism awareness. I love hearing that. Yippee. Uh, Okay. So um, and, and by the way, somebody wrote in and said, uh, is this just for ABA? No, single case agreement covers all things that your insurance covers. So in the example, you know, if, you, if you, the dental work, um, but if, if there are, there's a service provider that you want, that your insurance covers it and you're not, they're not, the only reason why you can't be with them is that your insurance isn't vended with them, ask for a single case agreement. Okay. So moving on, we always have a question of the day for you. And our question today, I have no idea what it is. Oh, what's your dream job? You know, one of the things that um, earlier this month, right at the end of last month, I guess it was, we had Tor Sone from Special East Derna on the show with us, an amazing dad who has been working really hard to talk to corporations and to train individuals um to do lots of different jobs and and the hope is uh to get more people on the spectrum into the workforce but i love the way torquil looks at it because it's not about and it just really makes me think of my friend joanne laura who was so committed to this it's not i mean there's different stages to it right It is about making sure that everybody has employment, but let's make sure that it's employment that's meaningful. One of the things that Joanne used to talk about was that in the old workshops that they were sort of like manual labor sweatshops for individuals who were differently abled. And she would tell the story of kids who were on the spectrum or who had Down syndrome, teenagers who were put into these workhouses to work for a company sorting handy on, um, an assembly line for hour after hour after hour and how it was mind numbing for them and, and how, and they were being paid like $1.45 an hour, um, to do that. And, you know, we are a culture of people who should not support that. Um, right. I think we can all agree that that's not appropriate that uh, individuals who are differently abled need to be paid on the same pay structure as everybody else. There's a minimum wage for a reason. And people who are differently abled should not be excluded from those laws and those rules. But I think it's important that we talk about what dream jobs are. And It's not, nobody's guaranteeing that somebody can walk out their front door first day and go to their dream job, right? I don't think that happens for very many people, certainly for some lucky few, but a dream job is something to be worked toward. So I'm asking you guys today in all your beautiful rainbow spectrum of places that you are, what's your dream job? And in honor of Joanne Lara today, I'm asking that if you have a kiddo who's on the autism spectrum, that you go to them and no matter what their age or ability and start talking to them about, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Where do you want to work? What's your dream job? And I'm fully cognizant of the fact that, you know, for many of these kiddos, you're not going to get a response back. But that doesn't mean it's not worthwhile to ask the question and put it out there. Years ago, Dr. Spock, Dr. Benjamin Spock, he made the case in the early 60s that if you talked to children about Mm. when you go to college, um, that your children were more likely to go to college because you were sort of building it into their DNA that they would go to college. Now, college isn't everything. Everybody doesn't need to go to college. But I think everybody does need to work. And, and to matter and have meaning in their life to work. And Joanne really taught me that. And I promised her that I would carry that forward. And, and so I'm trying to. And I think it's important that we, you know, jo- you can watch, there are so many clips where Joanne would say, you know, how upsetting it would be that she would be in an event. And there'd be lots of little kids running around. And, and you know, Aunt Margaret says to one of the kids, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? But then when we get to the kiddo with spectra, on the spectrum, so they'll say something like, aren't you cute? And that we don't say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that she felt that that was the ultimate in discrimination. So I'm asking you today to write in, tell me what your dream job is. and But then whoever you love on the spectrum, whether that's yourself, I hope, if you're on the spectrum you love yourself um or it's someone you know your significant other or your child ask them what their dream job is And don't be afraid of not getting a response, still put it out there. When my parents heard what Dr. Spock said, they, I was just being born. And so they decided to do this experiment with me where they would say to me on a regular basis, when you go to college, when you go to college, there was never a moment in my life when I wasn't going to go to college. Like it was just ingrained in me. Uh, they did not do this with my siblings. And my siblings have gone to college, but it was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to wait a little while. And again, nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying we need to build it into all of our all of the individuals that we love on the spectrum and not on the spectrum. What kind of work do you want to do? Who do you want to be when you grow up? What kind of job do you want to have? What kind of difference do you want to make in the world? Those are meaningful, viable questions that we need to be asking. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's our question for today. Please write in and tell me, I want to know what your dream jobs are. And then, um, let's, uh, let's move on to our topic for the week, which I don't even remember what it is playing the hand that you're dealt. Ah, um, a really important topic to talk about, uh, our sort of, Subtopic topic for this week or overreaching topic maybe is the better was that we were saying that this is, this is the week of the woman. And, uh, we have wanted to showcase and are going to showcase in just a minute that women, um, in the, the autism community, um, and what women are doing. Women are at the forefront of this community. And it kind of goes hand in hand with this because, um, It's so interesting how we identify ourselves now and how we look at ourselves. I'm old enough to remember a time when um, we would loudly say uh, equality for women. And uh, I think we still want and expect equality for women. And we are not, we're not there by the way, women are still being paid less than men. And let's just talk about on the autism spectrum. uh, It, On average, it takes women significantly longer to get a diagnosis or to get any kind of support. Uh, We've been looking at the research of why that is, uh, that researchers are much more prone to look at the male aspects of autism, which don't match the female aspects of autism. Um, and there are many other reasons why we think that women are not being diagnosed, uh, as early or as much as, as men are. Um, but I think it's important. One of the things that I've had to learn from my younger, uh, women in arms is that equality isn't always perfect. Like I don't want to be treated. Just going back to the women metaphor, I don't want to be treated like I'm not a woman. I am a woman, and and I want. I don't want to cut that out. I don't. I don't want it to be equal and even with men. I don't want to be treated like a man. I want to have the same rights. Uh, I don't want to be discriminated against because I'm a woman um and to me that's a little bit of a different line and i i am loving hearing from individuals in the autism community about being women and 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 how the treatment is different and i just want to put it out there that i'm i'm open to learning about what the differences are and how we should all be more aware um I guess, I guess I want to leave it at that because I want to leave room for our guests to talk a little bit about this, but I, and I want you guys to write in about this, about what I think it's important. And I'm looking at this in lots of different ways. Um, you know, especially in the last couple of days of what, what the conversations are and and what I'm hearing from a lot of my friends about, I want you to see me. This is what I'm hearing from people, whether it's, you know, I want you to see me and I'm, uh, Asian, you know, I want you to see me and see that, uh, you know, I, I have a friend who's saying, I want you to see me and see that I am an Asian individual, that that is part of, m- part of me. I don't want you to discriminate against me, but I don't want you to like suddenly act as if that isn't part of me. And I think that that's a really important distinction. So something for us to talk about, something for us to think about. Um, and especially in talking about individuals on the autism spectrum and seeing seeing what that is in its entirety um, and being respectful and empathetic and open and teachable uh which i think are all important things to be yeah okay so uh to that end i have an amazing guest uh she truly you know you have people in your life that you're like oh i really enjoy being around that person i think that they're incredible i always learn something when i'm talking to them but i also just you know really like this individual and you never have enough time to spend with that individual to, you know, but you're like, that's somebody I'd enjoy spending more time with. And that's somebody I'd love to have lunch with. Well, my next guest falls firmly into that heading for me. I think she's amazing. And one of those people on my list of, gosh, that's somebody I'd like to get to know better. That's somebody I'd like to be better friends with. Does that make sense? Um... She's a remarkable person, and I would rather that she tell you more about herself, because I'm trying to be respectful about what words people use to describe themselves. But uh, she's been on the show before. Amazing, amazing woman. Jennifer St. Jude is joining us right now. So Jennifer, I'm going to make you come in here and tell us a little bit about you. How
2: do you describe Jennifer St. Jude? (laughs) <laughs> oh my god well your introduction is going to make me cry before i even start <laughs> so thank you so much um i don't know i mean i, I think um it, i have a lot of i wear a lot of hats and i have a lot of descriptions um i think uh wow, that's great technology and you've got
1: good ring music
2: and i got good ring music <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that i thought i covered that's all cool. the ends of everything um uh you know i i think that where I felt like I really started to matter and have a definition that counted in the world was when I became a mother. And I felt like, um, you know, now this was a role that it was not something, uh, to decide against or change my mind. Like it was just, it was part of my life and, um, I adore my children. Um, they, uh, they were both diagnosed about five or six each. And, um, Wow. So I'm, I'm not really answering your question. I'm sorry. No, you're doing great. You're doing fine. Okay. I, I wasn't sure how to segue into that. Um. So in, in them getting diagnosed, you know, my, my focus was to learn everything I could about what they needed, what was wrong, what was happening, you know, and it was a, it was a really difficult road. Um. I remember just feeling like shell shock, you know, just like having, People throw books at me and resources, and none of it was um, comprehensible in the beginning. And um, I, I just desperately felt like I needed to suddenly become a professional overnight on autism, and I was absolutely not prepared. Um, and in that quest to learn more, I began, I began finding myself uh, identifying with the descriptions and the struggles, and it, I mean. It was, it was life transforming. It really was because I had spent my life um, just feeling like an alien, feeling lost, never never getting what everyone else got, never figuring out what everyone else figured out, always going the back door to everything I approached. I mean, I could be one foot from the front door, and I would go two miles out of the way to whip around to the back door. Like, I never went the straight line. And everything felt confusing, and I, I opened my I feel we lost. have I lost, lost. lost and um, we
1: lost you for just a second there Jennifer um the, the internet sorry. skipped on us uh yeah. no, no 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 I'm sorry because what you're saying is so vital for all of us to hear so you were saying that you you felt like you you run 2 miles out of the wrong direction that you and you felt yeah. different I think is what you were saying
2: absolutely and I think my mantra was always I feel lost I always felt lost. I never felt like I knew what I was doing, knew what I was going, knew, knew anything. And um, I got comfortable with that feeling. So it's not like it went away. I just grew up and I got used to feeling lost all the time. Um, but when I now had children, it wasn't acceptable anymore because I just, I started to feel like I can't let them grow up to live this life because it was really painful and it and it remained painful. So I started my quest on getting diagnosed and getting treatment. And getting, you know, just helped t- to make this so that I could make it better. My goal is to stay out front of them, so that when they reach the point that I was at, I could help them. And uh, they quickly caught up. Sadly, <laughs> so I think with, you know, the the therapy that they got right away, um, they quickly caught up, and it was a race to try to stay ahead of them and, and them. Um, and it still is. And, and in some ways they've surpassed me, which is okay, you know, but it's, I think as a mother, I just never wanted to not be able to help them in a place where they felt stuck. So, uh, so yeah, so that was, that was pretty much my journey. And yeah.
1: If you don't mind my asking,
2: how old were you when you got your diagnosis? So I will say this. I'm 52. I was 38. Um, 38 or 39 when I became aware that I probably am. And I think it took another two years to find a provider. It was nearly impossible to find a provider who would do an ADOS, which is the gold standard test for autism. And um and that would understand women. I, I, I got lucky that I found a, a place that just happened to understand women and had did the ADOs and was affordable, because most of the ADOSs that are available through other, you know, agencies are like thousands of dollars. So it was really difficult. But I just I felt like I know a lot of people say like, why would you bother getting a diagnosis at this point? Because without a diagnosis, there's no treatment, there's no help, there's no direction. and I needed to I needed to make things better and um, I needed to make them better. so I just um, I you know I did whatever I needed to and, um, but that yeah, was difficult. Just yesterday we had a
1: mom who wrote in um, and identified herself as being 35 years old and her two-year-old is in the process of getting a diagnosis. And she says there's a lot of people on both sides, her husband and her side of the family that have diagnoses and that before she had her child, it was suggested that maybe she should look at a diagnosis and that now um, that her child is getting diagnosis, getting diagnosed, that it's been brought up again. And it's something that her husband was suggesting that she get looked at. But she was saying at thirty, and she said, "I'm a very professional woman working at the top of my field. Uh, I have struggled with relationships and people um, in in the past." But she said, "At 35, is there really a benefit for me getting diagnosed?" And um, you know, we had Dr. Grampiche address that a little bit yesterday. But I said, "Listen." You know, I have somebody coming on the show tomorrow that I want to ask that same question because I do think it's the question that a lot of adult women ask. They're like, "You know, I've I've sorted through some of my challenges. Is there a benefit in me going and and getting a diagnosis?" What do you think about that, Jennifer?
2: Well, I I think absolutely. It changed my life. And I think that when you don't have a diagnosis, you don't have a focus, you don't have treatment and you don't have awareness because you're just sort of like, eh, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I think once you have a diagnosis, um, it gives you a kind of a map to what now. And and the other piece of that is that, you know, without, when before you learn more about something, you know what you know, and you think it's enough until you learn more and you realize how much you didn't know. Um, before I was diagnosed and before I got even a little bit of treatment. Um, I was, I was just suffering, but I had gotten used to it. So it became my my normal and my normal wasn't that bad. It was all that I knew. Um, When I got diagnosed and began to get some treatment, it changed my life. It helped me so, and I thought I understood a lot about autism, but my world just burst open with not only understanding, but how to compensate for certain things, how to, how to be easier on myself, because I now understood this wasn't, um, Any lack of trying, this was something I had to find a different way to accomplish, and not just try harder on the way that everyone else was doing. And it it transformed my life. I mean, I I really, I can't say enough. I think that getting a diagnosis is is essential. However, there are also people out there who cannot get a diagnosis. So I'm not saying that you have to have a diagnosis to be legitimate. I'm just saying that if you have a choice, I think it's really a, a great a great op, and I would go with that but i, I there's plenty of people that are self diagnosed and that's all that's as good as it gets for them. They can't find someone to diagnose them and and they are still included in this on this journey you know and so you mentioned that
1: that you you have had therapies that have helped you what what's like tell us one thing if you don't mind that has helped you as an example and and what kind of therapy was it that helped
2: um uh, probably you know talking to someone who had an understanding so therapy um just you know talk therapy was a good start um but i i soon realized that i had a tremendous amount there's a a webpage uh, that talks about a lot of these struggles and I realized I had a tremendous amount of sensory processing disorder issues, and it was crippling me probably more than anything else in my life. It was getting in the way of everything, and I wasn't able to function. And and I was functioning in very dysfunctional ways, you know, just kind of hiding for, you know, weeks just to recover and go back there. And so getting into occupational therapy with someone uh who who understood sensory processing and was willing to take an adult. I actually, so I'll finish my sentence. That was life transforming. But I actually looked all over the state of California for an agency that would treat an adult on the spectrum and found only one agency that did not treat adults but was willing to help me. And and that's crazy. Yeah, just just not a lot of resources.
1: That is crazy. And I know you... And please, anything that I ask, and my dog is is making all kinds of noises. I apologize; <laughs> she just okay. decided you to now to lay at my feet and moan, uh, just like. <laughs> Thank you, um, but please feel free if I ask anything that you're like, oh, I'll pass on that one. Don't think twice about it because I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be grilling okay. you. Um, but I actually want um, you to
2: ask anything you want. it's, well, it's an so opportunity amazing. to share.
1: I appreciate you saying that, but you know i think that you've had a really tough time of i i feel like you you're a pioneer jennifer that you've been at the forefront of so many things and the first person to step forward and say you know okay i'm going to do this how do you do it and um in particular we we have this new uh policy here in the state of california where um you have some autonomy supposedly at being able to find your services. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I know you were just so amazing and open and, and trying to figure out this process. And I think you're the first person maybe to figure it out.
2: Thank you. Yeah. At first, when you were talking about our policy in California, I thought you were going to talk about insurance. And I, I -hmm. just, my head just spun a few times. Because um, that has been a, you know, uphill, mile how battle um, that, you know, it's billion-dollar companies that you're going up against, so it's more difficult. Um, so I think, are you talking about regional center, self-determination program? Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I, I started, I, I was actually someone who was told, you can never get regional as an adult, it's not going to happen. And then I applied, and I was denied the first time, and then I was told by lawyers, you will never be able to appeal and win. <laughs> because once you're, you get denied, you can't. Well, I appealed and I won. And so I, and it changed my life. Getting getting into that place changed my life because prior to having regional services, adults with autism get kind of railroaded into mental health services for severely mentally ill people who it's not the same treatment and it's not the same approach. And it's actually quite the opposite and and very painful. So it was extremely helpful to get into regional center and be able to access those supports and services the problem i had when i went in is a lot of those services are kind of cookie cutter you know services that are geared towards maybe you know a a long ago example of an individual and this is what we offer and it hadn't changed much and um you know, I had some limitations. I had children. Like, I, I can't tell you how many people were like, we've ever had someone that was, you know, on the spectrum in regional center and has children <laughs> It's like it just it was like everything was like I felt like nobody knew what, you know, what was happening here. And and I felt like I didn't fit in anything traditional. I tried to just about everything. Um, the things I needed, they would say weren't available. The things they offered, I couldn't utilize, you know, so it was it was really challenging. Um, and, and I think too, a component of that is when you get to adulthood without diagnosis, treatment or intervention, you pick up a lot of bad habits of hiding, masking, faking, you know, um, not telling anybody anything because you've learned that that's not okay to explain that you feel lost or anything like that. So I developed a lot of these coping strategies that were made it very difficult for staff to interact with me because I looked one way, but felt another and, and they weren't, they didn't know where to go with that. And it was just kind of failing repeatedly. Um, When I heard about self-determination, I jumped at it only because it was different. Like I, at this point it was like, I've done maybe a solid seven years of effort trying to make traditional services work and I can't make it work. And so I'll do anything else to just see, you know, if I can get something different. Um, It it took me a year to get into even the orientation. It was really challenging um, because, you know, I just couldn't get hear from anyone. They wouldn't get back to me. I would get overwhelmed and not reply. And then we'd start over. Um, Once I did get in, it was actually fairly smooth. It was it was difficult finding an IF. Um, I started out. Tell us what an IF is, Jennifer. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Independent facilitator is kind of like your program manager. It's it's the equivalent of maybe the program manager in an SLS program or um, but it's actually, I think, more similar to your uh, CSC. But I don't know, it feels like a little bit of both. It's, it's a fantastic person who is your go-to person for everything. It's um it's an amazing position that has been really helpful. And it took me a while and I and I got a lot of help trying to find the right person and finally found an amazing individual that has has changed my life. And I don't even think she realizes it, but in the SDP it is now person-centered and it is, you know, what I need, not what they have. It's what can help me achieve my goals, not what they have available or not. And uh, and it's been amazing. Um, she's introduced something called a um, one-page profile, which I know has been around for a long time. It was, I think, supposed to be part of the traditional program of regional center and it's but in sdp they lead with that they start with a person centered plan and this particular if made a one page profile which pretty much is one page that is a snapshot of your struggles your strengths what to do what not to do and it has really made a difference in 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 everything i mean i think that just working with her has she seems to she really understands this field and she's really good at what she does
1: How do you use uh, forgive me for interrupting. How do you use that one page profile? How, how give us, can you give us one example of how it's helped you?
2: Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm still finalizing mine, but we've, we've put a lot of it together and, um, it's basically something that you give to a staff, a new staff, an old staff, you give to a job, a, a doctor, you know, like I said, a lot of times, you know, a people have their own prejudice of what they think people with autism look like so they come into the room with that um and i don't always present on the outside what i feel and struggle with on the inside so it's confusing and i get a lot of oh you don't look autistic or come on you know you're like and, and it's really sh- it's it's I don't like i don't know where to go with that because it's like you know, it, there's just no way out of that comment. Um, and so this is a way to, before all that starts, educate someone on who you really are, what you struggle with, and just kind of get to the solution and, and get past all that misunderstanding. I think a lot of times in the past with the agencies I had worked with, um, there was a tremendous amount of misunderstanding. And, and I didn't respond in traditional ways because I was doing all this masking and compensating and hiding you know for years because it was it wasn't safe to just be myself you know and it and when I was when I really melted down and struggled and went into traditional responses of people on the spectrum, I did not go well because people you know when they think you don't have a problem and you act like that they they think other things. And then it just kind of really blows up the connection you have with them. So it was really difficult. And I, and I'm excited about this. I think it's something that will really change things for people, you know, and it puts it into the hands of the individual. That's amazing. I, I keep coming back to in my
1: mind, how difficult it must be for women. And I know that you, you know, you're a great person to speak to this, that, um, you know, when I hear you say, because Jennifer, I mean, I've seen you in lots of different circumstances, and I only see this remarkable, incredible, capable woman. You're a beautiful writer. Um, and and we should say, you know, you've written many occasions. There's a book that you helped um, to write that just was um, republished uh, this last March. I think, Traven, you have the book cover, if you have a second to put that up. Um, but it's not the first, uh, you know, book that you've been a part of. Um, is there a place where people can go, let's ask this, where, where, uh, do you have a webpage or anything that shows the different things that you've written? Cause if they're like, wow, this woman is really amazing. I want to learn more is, is there one place to go or many places to go?
2: Um, so I'm trying to be better about that. I have, I think I, I put a URL webpage, I got a URL and put a webpage together. I think it's just my name, com. I think that no period or space. Um, I was trying to add more stuff there. I struggle. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. This is, I have spent my life hiding, hiding this struggle and hiding um, how difficult it was. And, And it doesn't surprise me that you only see that part of me because I don't ever let anyone see the struggle except my IF who is probably watching and laughing because I mean, she sees the real struggle. She's probably one of the few people that I have really trusted and let in to see the real struggle and let help me. And that's been part of the problem is when you don't show people how you're struggling, they can't help you. And um, so it's, it's, very difficult to shift gears on that and to become public about my struggle or, you know, I still, I think I struggle with a lot of the, the stigma and the shame that I felt through the years, um, about, about that, that it's very hard to be open about it. I know that it'll be powerful when I can become more open about it. Um, it's just difficult. It's, I get a lot of people judging my insides by my outsides and and while I'm gr- glad that I can perform well, you know that I can fake it when I need to. I have that luxury. Most of the people on the spectrum don't. And um, you know, and but with with that luxury also comes a price of you know not not really being understood. And and I'm not alone. I find that I, I'm. Because of internet and Facebook and all that, um, I actually know a lot of people around the world, women on the spectrum, and they have a lot of similar stories. You know, their yeah. mothers, they they maybe work a job and they come home and they crawl up in a ball and hide for you know the rest of the day. And there's just there's there's a reality that nobody is seeing, and there's a a band of adults on the spectrum. Um, Many women, maybe even some men that go unseen, untreated, unsupported and unserviced because they are too functioning to to qualify or fit into the the available services and not functioning enough to join mainstream society. And so there's a Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people that I know are just home isolating and they've been isolating since long before COVID, you know. Yeah. So I guess I want to know on both sides of it, and this is where I was
1: going before, um, and I just didn't get there because I got distracted that we were going to show the book cover. But uh, I I want to know for, for those of us, and let's take it, you know, for me, I want to know as a person who considers you a friend and wants to be a better friend, like what do you wish that people like me knew so that you wouldn't have to feel like you had to mask. What, what do you wish, like if you like, you know, I know it's like hard to just say, well, Shannon, I wish you knew this, but in general, what do you wish that people like me knew? Because I want you to be able to be exactly who you are.
2: It's not a difficult question. It's actually a very emotional one. And I'm trying to like just brace myself and not cry for answers, so. Thank you for asking that. Um, I think maybe it's hard to say it, but I think the hardest thing is to share how difficult things are with the people I care about because I don't want them to know. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I could do it without crying. So, like even coming on the show today, it was so incredibly hard. I had so much help to get here and make it look like no big deal. Mm -hmm. It is so incredibly hard for me to make plans with people because I struggle with just knowing how that happens. That little exchange, you know, people Mm -hmm. say we should get together and I say, sounds great. And then I don't know what to do next. So then they just say, you know, like, maybe this week. And I'm like, Oh, I'm busy. I'll let you know. And I just shut them down because I can't navigate that piece. God forbid, even then the next step of going somewhere. So, I mean, that's more the problem. And I am sure you asked for the solution, but I mean, that's kind of where I'm, I'm stuck with stuff. I think the solution that I'm finding for some of those problems is sharing with people I trust in to get the help I need to get to do the things I want to do. And, and SCP is what's really allowing that for me for the first time to really be able to get things i need so that i can live my life and i can join my friends my society a lot of people that know me think that probably i just kind of don't have time for them they don't Mm -hmm. realize how hard it is for me to make that happen you know and when i do make it happen it looks like no big deal but um and and i think the other piece is that the i think the only thing i'd want from a friend is when I tell you something's hard and I don't think you would do this, but when I tell you something's hard, don't, don't suddenly take my external appearance of, you know, that I'm capable of doing it. And I'm just being negative or hard on myself or something like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, a lot of people with autism, all people, regardless of their function, struggle with, um, executive functioning disorder, which manifests in the difficulty in carrying out steps to tasks. Yeah. So even the most simple tasks become really, really, really challenging. So I can speak at a conference or a university with ease, but you ask me to fill out a form that takes steps and I'm just, I just come unglued. And so you know, if, you, if people don't understand, that's okay, but don't tell me that I don't know what I can and cannot do. You know, and like I said, not that you would, but a lot of people do. You know, they think they're encouraging you, but really just denying your reality. So
1: I think that's so important. All of that was so important for us to hear. But the main thing that I want to sort of pull out of what you said is that thing about that I think it's one of the most important things so that you can do the things you want to do. For me, it all starts and stops there that, you know, to support you to do the things that you want to do. And um, I because I, I think sometimes people, you know, myself included, read when someone doesn't outwardly look like they want to do that, then that means they must, that's my criteria. Did you just hear what I said? Like, like I just put it through my filter. I look at it and go, oh, it doesn't look like they want to do that. And, right. and that's the end of the story. But it might be that they want to do it but that it's hard for them to do it. And that's a different understanding for us yes. to be in a place of, so, you know, cause sometimes I don't know what people want to do and what's hard for them. I don't know what the difference is, but so if and I, if, if I asked you, would that be appropriate? If, if you asked me what, if it was hard? So, for instance, if I said to you, you know, uh, when when the pandemic is better, you know, I'd love to get together for lunch with you. And I, you know, if you said, yes, let's do that sometime, I would take that at face value. But if I asked you again and again and again, and we never made a plan, at some point, I might think to myself, I don't think she really wants to go to lunch with me. And I wouldn't necessarily be offended by that. But would it be okay for me to say to you, if I've asked you three times, is Jennifer, is it that you don't want to go or are you having trouble setting yes. a time?
2: Is that appropriate or yes. is that condescending? You know, you know, it's hard to give an answer because there's the, you know, the the up and coming 2030 group that might feel something like that's condescending. At this point in my life, I have missed out on so much. I have I have watched the world go by me and whatever I need to do to make something better or make something happen, I'll do it. I don't care if it's condescending. I don't care if it's like, I'm not seeing it like that. I I feel like if you asked me that, it would be that you truly cared and wanted to help. And I wouldn't feel offended at all. I I would actually feel relieved because I think, you know, adults manifest very differently than children when when we struggle, when we get to this point unnoticed, and we struggle with things, we learn to make up excuses that um, look acceptable in society. So we say, I'm sorry, I didn't get back to you. I'm just really busy right now. Like we make up excuses and, and it's, I don't even think about it anymore. Like, it's not like I plan to deceive. I just I just automatically have learned to do these things that make me look fine and yet, you know, but, but get out of what I cannot do. And up until now, having self termination and the support of my independent facilitator, up until now, everything I wanted to do, I knew I wouldn't be able to accomplish. So it was easier on my psyche and my ego probably to be able to just tell myself it's because I'm busy and I just don't have time. Instead of admitting to myself that I can't put, I can't figure out how to make an appointment because I see every date under the sun. When you ask me, what time do you want to, what time are you free? And I just see like the whole calendar open up with every possibility and, and I get stuck there. So having you say that would be amazing. Cause then I could be authentically honest and tell you, I do want to hang out with you. I do want to see you. I would love to go there. I'm stuck at the steps in between. And that would open up a conversation of, Oh, what are you stuck at? And maybe I could move forward with that. But I think I just go into my automatic reaction, which doesn't help,
1: <laughs> you know. I think at the base of all of this is just it's important to just be people, and to be considerate, and to be empathetic, and to ask questions, and for all of us, as as much as I I appreciate you saying that it's difficult for you, I think that on our end, our difficulty is that. That we we just like put things into call it something without knowing what it is. I think a lot of the problem is on on that we all need to do a little perspective taking and acknowledge that. I just was reading a thing in the New York Times this morning about how important it is to understand that your challenges are not the same as mine, but that we all have things going on, and yeah. that if we're empathetic about that and open to understanding that because something was easy for me doesn't mean that it was easy for you um and so that that's a place to come from. we're out of time already which is crazy Mm -hmm. because i could talk to you for another seven hours last thought jennifer if there was one thing that you could say to the world out there and put the book back up um Traven, because it's such an amazing title of this book, Sincerely, Your Autistic Child, What People on the Autism Spectrum Wish Their Parents Knew About Growing Up Acceptance and Identity. It's available now. I assume on you can get it on Amazon and every major bookseller. Um, but if there was one thing that you could say to people in parting, Jennifer, um, for us to be more aware, whether it's for our children or for our friends, about women um, and on the spectrum and how we can be supportive? What's the one, and I know it's crazy, hard
2: question to answer, but can you think of one thing that would be helpful today? Um, for the people you know, on the spectrum and off, I guess the one thing would be that women manifest differently. We already come hardwired for more socialization and more communication. So when we get hit in that area, which are the two big areas of autism, we, we don't look like we are as affected, but we are just as affected in in our own way and and struggle. I think women do a better job at masking. So uh, I would say women uh, on the spectrum, trust yourself and and embrace whatever it is you need to do and don't give up. And people that love a woman on the spectrum or a girl on the spectrum, Believe them. Believe them when they tell you what they feel on the inside. Um, that women often present okay, but believe them when they tell you is on the inside, and and don't discount that. I think that would be the most, the most beneficial and the most helpful. So powerful message.
1: I want to thank you for coming today. I want to thank, thank you. you for being here and for being so open and sharing with us. I've certainly learned a lot, and I think maybe other people have and when when things get a little bit better pandemic wise um, i'm i'm going to be calling you to get together to do something but uh but, but i want i want to do it in a way that works for you
2: so well, i would love that i would love that and i and now i have sdp and a great if to help me get there so i'm i'm already ahead of the game so wonderful. thank you
1: all right uh so thank you so much for being with us jennifer and I want to say to everybody, tomorrow we're back. We, the research, uh, once a month we do research on Fridays with Nancy Alspa jackson And tomorrow we're talking about research having to do with listening therapies, because you guys had asked for that. So that will be tomorrow. Don't forget that Temple Grandin is live with us next Tuesday, and I still need questions from you guys. So if you have questions, you can send them to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye, Jennifer.
2: Bye-bye, everybody.